Hey, this is Ted Brzezelski. This is Words and Work. Uh, as I'm recording this, I am recovering from my second COVID shot. It's uh, it's a special experience, <laughs> but better than having COVID. So I would still recommend this. Um, but uh, the interview that I've got uh, posted is. Uh, was recorded before I took the shot, so I am perfectly healthy during that uh, interview, and any mistakes I make, I can't blame on the vaccine. Um, it's with uh, Fred Yamashita, who uh, is the executive director of the Arizona AFL-CIO. Uh, he, for a long time, was here in Pima County running the Pima County or the Pima Area Labor Federation um, and I met him when he was uh, with the United Food and Commercial Workers of which he's still a member uh, so I've known him probably over a decade um, and uh, he's going to talk about the PRO Act that's the um, Protect the Right to Organize Act which is aimed at uh, rolling back a lot of the things that have happened over the last 60 years that have eroded worker protections and and the right to organize in the workplace. So um, here you go. Here's Fred Yamashita. I think you you, you were here in Tucson for a while, and uh, then you. Uh, <sighs> just abandoned us it was you know <laughs> but um i wanted to have you on to talk about the pro act um first of all what is it and um you know what what's it gonna do so the pro act um is the protecting the right to organize act um and it's part of the afl cio's uh, worker first agenda and is really the primary uh, priority for the AFL-CIO in regards to uh, legislation um, uh, that has already been passed uh, by the House twice um, and is uh, awaiting uh, an opportunity uh, in the Senate. Um, the PRO Act, generally speaking, um, it would empower workers uh, to exercise um, freedom to organize and bargain. And I would say that it would effectively um, do away with right to work. Um, and then it would uh, ensure that workers can reach a first contract. Uh, that's one of the more difficult uh, parts of the process uh, once um, a workplace is, uh, has an election um, where workers vote uh, for a union, that doesn't mean that they're automatically gonna be working under a collective bargaining agreement. Then they, they have to go through the process of negotiating uh, a contract with, uh, with the company. Um, and it would, it would end employers' uh, practices of punishing um, striking workers uh, by hiring permanent workers, uh, holding uh, captive audience, anti-union meetings, um, 
and many other tactics that companies uh, use uh, in order to uh, discourage their employees from actively organizing within the workplace uh, and and uh, signing authorization cards to join the union. Um, a, a good example of that is uh, what's happened in um, Bessemer, Alabama, uh, with the Amazon uh, Fulfillment Center. Um, they've they've committed a number of these types of anti-union, uh, 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 union-busting uh, tactics. Um, and then another example where they were hiring replacement workers is um, at the Asarco uh, locations in which um, several uh, unions have been on strike against um, the Asarco copper mine uh, owned by Grupo Mexico out of Mexico. Uh, and after uh, almost a year, well, even before that, excuse me, they were hiring um, uh, workers to replace those strikers. Um, and when the unions called off their, their strike back in around October, um, they literally uh, treated those uh, returning workers as new hires. Um, essentially considering um, those workers that crossed the line or that they hired um, as replacement workers for those strikers. Those are, are really some of the, the highlights of, um, of the PRO Act. Um, it, it, it would hold, uh, excuse me, uh, corporations accountable uh, by strengthening the, the National Labor Relations Board. Um, so many times, um, there's there's an ebb and flow of um, um, of how labor is treated by uh, the the U.S. government, all depending on um, who's in uh, power, um, what president, uh, what party the president is is uh, from. That's uh, that was would be currently uh, sitting in the White House. Um, and then, like I said earlier, it, it would repeal the right to work laws. Um, there's about 27, 28 states um, in, the, in the United States now that, that are right to work. There have been a few states over the last uh, few years that have gone right to work. Um, there's only been one or two states that have been able to repeal uh, right to work. So definitely the trend has been um uh, towards uh, corporations yielding their power to um, to control their state governments to um, to pass right to work laws, um, and then it creates a pathway for workers to to form unions without fear um, in uh, newer industries like big tech. Yeah, and and I, I you know I know that right now. Um, actually, as we speak, I think they're counting the votes in Bessemer, Alabama at the Amazon facility. Um, and uh, so, I, you know, I think a lot of people now are hearing in the news uh, about, you know, that, that initial vote to establish the union. Could you talk a little bit about how that works now versus how it would work under the PRO Act? So... When 
uh, workers make a decision uh, that they want to form or organize or join a union. Um, uh, most of the times, of course, these are non-union workplaces. Um, and many times the, the motivation for workers is that there's been some sort of um, mistreatment or injustice or exploitation that has taken place in the workplace and that those workers feel that they are not being considered or heard. And so many times they start out with, you know, with conversations amongst themselves or family members. And, um, you know, that, that um, leads to um, them at some point contacting um, a labor organization, a union, um, to see if they can um, organize uh, and, and join a union to have that, that voice in the workplace. Uh, and so, um, you know, through this process, um, once a, a union has uh, been contacted by a worker, or sometimes uh, unions do go out and um, uh, they do uh, seek employees uh, um, uh, that work in different industries to see if they, they are interested in joining the union. Um, most of the times I would say though, it, it is the, what I uh, first described. And once there are a number of employees in a, in a, uh, a workplace that that um, have agreed that they'd like to or, or agreed that they want to hear more about uh, joining a union, um, they would have uh, small meetings, uh, home meetings, generally speaking, um, and the union would start taking uh, down information to see um, who uh, the workers are that would be the most uh, likely to uh, be able to um, uh, help organize uh, committees, small committees um, that leads to um, eventually uh, with enough workers signing authorization cards uh, and the process uh, uh, based off of the National Labor Relations Act would be that um, if they got a simple majority, 50% plus one of the employees that would be in a specific uh, bargaining unit, uh, workers that would be eligible to be covered under a collective bargaining agreement, um, that they could uh, petition um, with the National Labor Relations Board to hold an election. Um, and then at that point, um, they would have an election um, um, after uh, a period of time uh, where, um, again, uh, by a simple majority, uh, 50% plus one of those uh, that that vote uh, in that bargaining unit to determine whether or not uh, they they uh, would be eligible for union representation and the right to collectively bargain a contract. Okay, so you know, and and I mean, one of the things that I've always talked about with people is that, you know, in, in a lot of ways, the anti-union people won, you know, back in the 80s and in the, seven, in, in the late 70s, because 
folks aren't, you know, where, whereas people who are maybe a little older than you, they had the neighbor that was in the union, the uncle that was in the union and so on and so forth. And that isn't quite the same thing as it is now. And, but I don't know what, when I'm hearing from a lot of folks, you know, with, you know, the Amazon stuff, the, uh, and some other actions that are going on is that it sounds like unions are becoming part of the consciousness again. Are you seeing that the same way? Yes. Um, you know, uh, recent polls have shown that um, close to 50% of workers today um, that, that are currently um, working in non-union uh, 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 work uh, would join a union if they had an opportunity. Uh, and so um, I think the COVID uh, pandemic has really, um, I think, uh, isolated and highlighted a lot of areas in where workers uh, have really been um, pushed um, to the maximum in regards to uh, being exploited, um, unprotected, treated unfairly, um, put at risk, um, and without any real um, voice or, or ability to protect themselves, uh, especially, you know, so many of the workers that ha it's been a real struggle to have um, uh, local governments, state governments, um, and even the federal government uh, determine um, that these workers may be or should be considered um, essential workers, mm -hmm. uh, if not frontline workers. Yeah, and, and, and just I'd like to know for everyone that, you know, Fred comes out of the uh, United Food and Commercial Workers, and, and that union has particularly uh, had issues during COVID about being compensated and being recognized as essential workers. And so that's... Uh, I know that's a very dear issue for you. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I mean, we've had conversations because I'm, you know, in the writer's union, it's a, uh, it's a union of freelancers, which is a whole different ball game um, as far as, as organizing. And, but, but we've been having conversations, particularly with newer members about the pro act and their, you know, there's this worry about from them, and it, I think it comes out of sort of the, the the conversations over, you know, state legislation in various places that somehow freelance workers would be, you know, forced into a, a, a regular, you know, W-2 job, I guess they, they usually call it, um, and they wouldn't have that freedom they have now. You know, in the what is there in the PRO Act that would lead people to think that, or is that, is that just something, I mean, well, what would you actually, maybe I should start that question over here. What would you say to people to disabuse them of that notion? Sure. I think um, like so in so many other instances, um, especially today when we are really just uh, bombarded with uh, information and uh, from so many different mediums uh, and sources, uh, and trying to determine what is actually valid uh, or true, um, that you uh, literally have to 
to do your, your homework and to do your research. And the, the Authors Guild uh, is an organization that is an advocate for uh, authors and um, they have made a determination uh, and um, they've had, you know, um, real life experience with uh, this misinformation being put out by Uber and Lyft uh, and other major companies uh, mostly, but those two uh, in particular uh, in California uh, who um, really contract, uh, uh, they contract with uh, private citizens to do work for them. Um, and, uh, and they put out a lot of uh, bad information about um, uh, about what uh, protections that freelance workers would have. And so uh, under the PRO Act, uh, the, there's an ABC test uh, under the PRO Act that is really just for determining whether uh, a freelance worker is able to participate in a union, um, uh, to participate in a union contract, um, and not if they uh, have to be onboarded as a full-time employee uh, to do work for a company. It's only to determine who uh, qualifies for NLA, NRL, NLRA protections. Uh, and, it, um, uh, and if they were ever uh, to engage um, themselves in collective actions, uh, trying to organize a union or, or uh, bargain collectively, that they would have those protections under the NLRA but it's not mandating that they be part of, um, uh, they, that they're considered um, an employee of the company. They, they can uh, retain their, their freelance or contractor status. Okay, and, and just um, if, if uh, you know, just to clarify for folks, NLRA is the National Labor Relations Act, which is the, 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 the cornerstone that allowed unions to be legally organized and to strike and to collectively bargain. Cause I think, you know, when people talk about that term wildcat strike, uh, I think people don't realize that if they heard about any strike that happened in the twenties or thirties, it essentially was a wildcat strike. And, and because it was illegal. Yeah. Because it was, you know, there was no legal way to do it. Um, but, you know, and that actually leads to another question. If I, if I can get you to indulge on, on history for a little bit, um, that the protections that are in the NLRA should be doing most of what's in the PRO Act. I mean, I know the pro, I know there, there've had to be changes because of changes in the economy and so forth. So what led us to this point where we need the PRO Act? Well, you know, there's um, uh, in 1947 uh, under Taft-Hartley, um, a lot of the labor laws really were um, uh, reeled back um, and, and, you know, right to work was created. Uh, and um, Arizona was one of those states in 1947 uh, that would allow workers to work for a company that was uh, represented uh, by a union and had a collective bargaining uh, agreement in place, but would allow any individual uh, that work there to enjoy all of those negotiated benefits, pay, uh, health insurance, pension, uh, representation, uh, any and all of those benefits negotiated under the union contract, but not have to be a member, not have to pay union dues, 
not have to pay fair share for representation, for collecting their lifelong pension, for uh, utilizing uh, what, what we would consider today the Cadillac plans of insurance mm -hmm. for themselves and their families. Um, it was essentially um, allowing um, uh, employees to take a free ride, so to speak, um, on the backs of their fellow, uh, their co-workers uh, who were um, footing the bill, paying the union dues, and making sure that um, they had that collective voice to continue bargaining for those uh, benefits and protections. Okay. Um, and uh, where where is this, right? I mean, cause you, I think you talked about it passing the House. So what um, what's going on with this as a bill right now? Yeah, so it's it passed the House for a second time. Um, it passed the first time back in May of 2020. Um, and because we're uh, now in a new Congress um, after the election, they had to re-vote it in the House. Uh, it did pass on a bipartisan basis, um, albeit um, you know only five Republicans voted for it in the House. Um, and uh, it's now awaiting um, for... Um, for uh, you know, uh, a vote in the Senate, um, but as we all know, where there's a 50-50 a split in the Senate, um, and we do have, uh, of course, a Democratic administration in the White House, and so our Vice President um, is a is a tiebreaker. Um, but um, this is one of those bills that um, it would literally take uh, 60 votes. To pass, uh, it's not a bill that would, that will be, um, or could be passed uh, using a reconciliation, um, and so um, the minority party, uh, currently right now the Republican Party, uh, could kill this bill uh, through the use of the filibuster. Um, uh, Senate President uh, Chuck Schumer the other day uh, made a statement, told. Uh, uh, AFL-CIO President uh, Richard Trumka, that um, if uh, if we have 50, um, 50 sponsors, 50 sponsors, that it would get a floor vote. Mm -hmm. um, currently, we have 45 Democratic sponsors. We have uh, five um, Democratic senators that have not sponsored yet. Um, Sorry, I can't tell you all five of those states, but what I can tell you is that two of the five reside here in Arizona. Um, and that um, in my conversations with both of those senators, um, Senator Sinema at this point um, is not willing to consider um, getting rid of the filibuster. Um, and, and Joe Manchin is the other senator that uh, has been opposed to getting rid of the filibuster. Uh, Senator Sinema feels that she's taken the same position on the filibuster uh, as uh, as a senator in the majority party as she did as a senator in the minority. Um, but um, there could be potentially um, uh, Something that uh, Senator Manchin has talked about uh, in regards to a change in the filibuster, which really isn't a change, right? It would just almost 
be just requiring the minority party to actually follow through on the filibuster? Yeah, that, that's that's the funny thing, because I think a lot of people don't realize, I mean, they, they watch Mr. Smith goes to Washington and they think that's how it works now. But it's an email from one of your staff members says, I'm going to filibuster this. And they go, OK, you know, it's not um, <laughs> it's it's uh, a very different process. And uh, um, but uh, well, um, got to wind it up a little bit. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the 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 pro act or uh you know well yes um the pro act is the single most important piece of legislation for working people in our lifetimes uh, we we thought we had an opportunity to pass the employee free choice act which would do some of the things that uh, are contained in the pro act um, but even with the uh, Democratic president, Democratic House, Democratic uh, Senate, even with larger majorities than we have now, um, it never got a, a vote. Uh, and so um, with President Biden, uh, we have found someone that I know that uh, our uh, AFL-CIO President Richard Trumka uh, will tell you himself that this is the most pro-worker, pro-union president we've ever had. Uh, and we have an opportunity um, to change the course of, of this country uh, in favor of working people and working families. That's how important this PRO Act is. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Fred. Uh, the, where they, is it? The president of the state AFL -CIO? No, actually the executive director. Executive director, okay, of the AFL CIO. Um, thank you for uh, for chatting. Ted, thank you, uh, and you're you're welcome. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. All right, thank you, Fred, and thank you for listening. I'm Ted Przelski, and uh, I'd like to tell you about a couple of the uh, events coming up for the Writers Union. Our meetings are online uh, via Zoom for right now, like everything is. Uh, if you go to our uh, Facebook page, you'll see details about how to get on those Zoom meetings. Um, April 19th will be Arthur Hitner, who's uh, author of several novels. Uh, he lives up in Oro Valley, um, and uh, he's got a novel out called The Amorous Adventures of Charlie Mayer. And then on May 17th, uh, Eric Asfog, who actually was my high school physics teacher, oddly enough, um, and uh, he's got a book out called When the Earth Had Two Moons, which is, uh, you know, his own personal journey into science, but also to tell you about, you know, how these discoveries emerged and, and why we uh, see our solar system the way we do right now um, and so like I said that's going to be on our Facebook page and I'd like to thank you very much uh, Words and Work is a production of Downtown Radio and uh, the National Writers Union Tucson chapter thank you <laughs>